And we're going to start out here, and then we're going to jump back a little bit. And let's do the smart thing. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, as always, Lord, you wrote this. Just pray that you would teach, we would listen. Just let your spirit guide and direct in all things in all ways. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All righty, Luke 23. Pick it up here in verse 32. It says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they do, and they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? If we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, lots of interesting things there. The story of Easter, as we look at this about what Christ went through. And in this picture, you see so much. You see this wonderful picture of grace in verse 34. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. But you also see this idea of the mocking of what Christ went through in verses 35 and 36. The sneering and the mocking. You see one person accepting, and you see one person rejecting. But what I really want you to focus on, look at verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Is that not Easter? We have done all the sinning. We have made the mess. We have created this huge problem. But Jesus is the one that picks it up for us. That's what Easter is. We are this helpless group of people overrun by sin. And Easter is the time where we stop and we think about what Jesus did because we don't deserve any of this in any way whatsoever. At the uh, Excellent Wednesday service we just did a few days ago, one of the points that we made was this idea that Jesus himself had to pick up the pieces. He had to do it. There's nothing we can do. Verse 41, one more time. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Easter is a time where we realize what Christ did for us and how helpless we are. Jump back, if you will, real quick to Luke 13. We've been going through the book of Luke here, and we did some of Luke 13 last week. And I was kind of praying about and thinking about the Easter message this Sunday. I kept going back to what we talked about last week, and I said there's a few points I wanted to bring out. And I realized how Luke 13 is such a beautiful picture of what Easter is. Look here at Luke 13, verse uh, 10. It says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. That's us. Well, we are a picture of that woman. We have an infirmity. We have a weakness. We have a frailty. We have sin. We've been struggling with this our whole life. This woman, 18 years for our whole life, we have. We are crippled. We are bent over in sin, and we can't raise ourselves up in any way whatsoever. That's us. If you weren't at the sunrise service this morning, Pastor Rich did a great job teaching that. And one of the points he brought out was this ministry Jesus had to women 
on how that society at that time considered them the outcast. Here Christ is going to people that the world rejects. My goodness, sinners are rejected by the world. We are a crippled person full of an infirmity, and we can't even get ourselves to stand up straight. Now, what's your infirmity? What's your weakness? What's your frailty? I I don't know what that is. I know what mine is. I don't know what yours are. Maybe there's a health issue that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a sin that you've been struggling with, not for just a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months or years, maybe decades, like this woman struggled for 18 years. What is the frailty, the weakness and infirmity in your life that has crippled you? See, Easter reminds us of how helpless we really are. We are completely and utterly helpless. If you weren't with us last week, as we're in our study in the book of Luke, we brought up this point how we're all sinners. And when I said how we're all bad... But bad is actually too much of a compliment. We're actually evil, horrible. We're worthless. Bad actually sounds like it's not too bad. No. We are completely and utterly helpless. We went to Romans 3 and we laid out this picture of how despicable we really are. Easter reminds us of how helpless we really are for what Jesus came down and did. 1 Corinthians 15 says our body is just weakness. That's all it is. Now, we don't think we're all that bad because we compare ourselves to other people, other sinners. But compared to the righteous standard of God, boy, we're full of sickness. We really are. How do we fix this? How do we raise ourselves up? But we can't do it. Jesus said in Matthew 19, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God has to be the one that lifts us up. But what about this 18 years thing? 18 years. What a struggle that is. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. 18 years. Let's talk about the struggle of that. I know that there are some people, like I said, have struggled with things for a long time. Maybe your struggle is not measured in days, weeks, months. Maybe in decades. Maybe there's been a weakness in your life, a frailty, an infirmity that you have struggled with, a sin that you thought, by now in my walk with Christ, I should be past this. Or maybe there's been a hurt, a heartache, a pain, a guilt, a shame, something done decades ago, and you're still carrying that guilt and shame on your heart. Maybe there's unforgiveness towards other people. Maybe there's unforgiveness towards God. Whatever it is that you're carrying... That cripples you. Easter reminds us how helpless we are that God can set us free. Look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have we not all been in that position? Lord, I've prayed about this. I've sought you over this. There is no answer. This woman for 18 years struggled with her infirmity. Lord, I have struggled for years, for decades with this. This shame, this guilt of past things I've done. When will I ever have freedom? Lord, I have been holding this bitterness towards what that person said about me, what that person did. Lord, I'm the one that is people are holding bitterness against me. Whatever this infirmity is, how long do I have to do this? Because I've prayed, I've done it, I've read the scriptures, I've sought the Lord. Verse 1, nothing. Nothing. Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrows in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Every day is a day of pain, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. I am walking in this infirmity for years. Verse 3, consider 
And hear me, O Lord my God, lest I open light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I move. How many of us have ever been to the point of verse 3 of saying, Lord, it's just not worth it? Can't I just go to sleep and just not wake up tomorrow? I'm ready for this to be done. I've carried this infirmity, this frailness, this weakness, this frailty for too long, and I'm ready to be done. Easter shows us how helpless we really are. But look at verses 5 and 6. If we just stop at the end of verse 4, what a depressing moment. Look at verse 5 and 6. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Keep that in the back of your head, that idea of praise and worship. We're going to get to that point here in a second. But the first point is, just like this woman was crippled for 18 years, couldn't stand up, couldn't do anything, that is us. A complete weakness of a person. We have nothing. But what does Jesus do? Jump back to Luke 13, verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called to her, called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was straight and glorified God. Look what Jesus did. Jesus calls her, Jesus touches her, Jesus sets her free. What did this woman do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The first point was Easter reminds us of how helpless we really are. The second point, Easter reminds us of what Jesus did for us. Everything. Everything. He did the calling. He touched her. He set her free. He healed her. He did everything. By the voice of the Lord. Think about how powerful that voice is. What raised Lazarus from the dead? The voice of Jesus. Jesus didn't go in and say, guys, move the stone. I need to go touch the body. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came forth. In John 20, which Rich talked about this morning, and which the kids here just talked about, when Mary saw Jesus and she did not recognize him, when Jesus said her name, that's when she got it. The voice of Jesus. He says in John 10 that my sheep hear my voice. See, Jesus is constantly calling. He's constantly calling us, just like he did this woman, to pull us out of our infirmity, sin, and weakness. Now the question comes up of do we respond to that calling? I don't know how many times I've had people over the years contact me and say, hey, can we get together and talk? I'm really struggling with something. I want to get some advice, some counsel, some scripture. Can we get together? So I say, fine. We talk on the phone. We get an appointment out here. We go grab a bite. And they have these problems they want to talk about. So I said, hey, why don't you tell me what you're going with and let's see what the Bible says. So they start talking. And guess what? They never stop talking. It's, it's not that they want advice or counsel or scripture. They just like to talk. Have you ever met somebody like that, that they don't even stop speaking enough for you to interject anything? How many times in our spiritual life do we cry out to the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling here, physically I'm hurting, I'm in pain, emotionally I'm struggling, I have this unforgiveness towards somebody, I have this anger, I have this bitterness, I have this guilt, I have this shame, Lord, I'm struggling, and we just keep crying out to God. But we never are quiet enough to hear Him call out to us. See, when he calls out to us, that's when he can touch us. That's when he can heal us. That's when he can set us free. If we just constantly keep focusing on what's wrong and the problems in our life, how are we ever supposed to be set free from this infirmity? 
We have a lot of people that claim to be Christians walking around defeated. Defeated. Where does this defeated mentality come from? The Bible says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This woman, for 18 years, was defeated. But Jesus called out to her. Jesus touched her. Jesus set her free. And that's what Easter does. Easter reminds us of what Jesus did for us, which is everything. John 15, 5, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Every now and then I'll run into that person that's going to fix their marriage, fix their kids, fix their grandkids, lead everybody on their shift to Jesus, and they're just going to save the world. Because they're going to do it. We'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll struggle struggles in their marriage and their kids and their life. And they'll stop and they'll say, you know what I need to do? I just need to get focused. Once I get focused, everything will be fine. I'll just start working on this. Everything will be good. No, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. I appreciate your gung-ho attitude, but the truth of the matter is, unless you're letting the Lord do everything, you can do nothing. Easter reminds us that it has to be Christ. It has to be Him. What happens next? Verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work, and therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. We talked about that last week, that idea of the Sabbath and what that means. But we need to talk about this guy in verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue that answered with indignation, with anger. Easter reminds us there's always going to be one of those guys. Always going to be somebody that tries to bring you down, that tries to steal the joy of your life, that tries to bother you with words. There's always going to be somebody. This woman just was miraculously healed after 18 years. And all of a sudden, there's this guy saying, wait, wait, you can't, you can't heal on the Sabbath. No one asked his opinion. But by golly, he sure gave it. Do you know somebody like that? You're not asking their opinion, but they will share what they think. And what happens is, now listen to this. Don't allow someone to dictate your joy by their words or their opinions. Don't. Don't allow someone to dictate your joy by their words or opinions. I see too many Christians get deflated because this person disagrees with me. This person said this. This person said that. Easter reminds us there's always going to be somebody like that. But you know what Easter reminds us? The tomb is empty. So I don't care what you think. The tomb is empty. Jesus won. I have eternity in heaven. That is what dictates my joy. Don't allow anything, let me stress this, anything to dictate your joy, especially things that have nothing to do with eternity. Too often people allow comments and questions and suggestions and opinions and people to dictate their joy and their ministry and their service. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Verse 14, there will always be somebody who is a joy stealer. Always. They may be so wrong, they don't even realize they're wrong. You may work with them. You may go to church with them. You may live with them. You may be married to them. I'm married to a joy stealer. <laughs> Let me share this. My son just turned eight last week, March 25th, eight. So what happens is his birthday was on a Monday. So on Thursday, he comes up to me. Well, Thursday, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Four days before his birthday. And he goes, I know that you and mom got me a, a, a gift, a present. He goes, can we open it tonight? 
Now me, you know, I'm a, I'm a picture of Jesus. So I said, yeah. You know, I want to bless my son. I want to give gifts to my son. I want to show unconditional love to my son. So I said, sure. Now Dawn, Satan, she said, no. She said his birthday's on sun, uh, Monday. Wait, his birthday's Monday. I said, come on. I mean, he's just excited. He's turning eight. Let's, let's give him this. This is not a big deal in the whole scheme of things. It's Friday's family day. We can play all day together. Let him do this. So, so Satan gave in. And I told him, I said, now listen, you've got a couple other things that you're going to get for your birthday. Just little things, nothing big. So guess what? Elias wakes up Friday. And he says, Jesus, Dad, can I have, can I have those other things? Now, here's a biblical point. Sometimes Satan wins. Satan won on Friday. He did not get the things on, on Friday. Now, so we Saturday was his party, and then Sunday, and then finally Monday we gave him the rest of the stuff. Point is, Don's a joy stealer. See, I want the kids to be happy and excited, and I want them to enjoy life and their birthday. And what's the big deal if it's three, four, five days before that? Just enjoy because it's his birthday. Right here, I'm telling you right now, verse 14, there's always going to be some schmuck that you work with, that you go to church with, that you know... And they're just a joy stealer. They just absolutely are a joy stealer by their comments, by their opinions, what they say, what they do. And I'm telling you right now, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the tomb is empty. Don't allow anybody to dictate your joy by their opinions or their words. If we would allow this person to win in verse 14, what about the amazing healing that just happened? What about this woman of 18 years? No. We let it go. Too often I see Christians get overcome by what other people have said. Easter reminds us that there always will be one of those guys. Always. Don't allow that to happen. Verse 15, Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, For 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. What else does Easter remind us? Easter reminds us that our response to what Jesus has done for us, and to the tomb being empty, very simply put, is just praise. Look at verse 13. When she's healed, he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Verse 17, what happens? The multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. What did we just read in Psalm 13? The last two verses are praise. Easter reminds us our response to all of this is praise. I'm a completely helpless, worthless person. Jesus still calls me, touches me, heals me. There's always going to be somebody that wants to steal my joy, but Easter reminds me, the tomb is empty. I just praise him. Now, here's the problem with praise. Too often, we dictate praise on what God has done. You come into church, be it Wednesday or Sunday, and the praise and worship starts, and your mind starts thinking, well, what has God done this week that I should praise him for? Well, this has really been a bad week. I mean, I, mean I, I wasn't feeling good the first few days. Work did not go well. I don't even have a job. 
Um, I don't even have money to pay the bills. I barely could get here. My car is a flat. Lord, I don't even know what to praise you for. Praise and worship is not necessarily based on what he has done. Praise and worship is just based on who he is. See, Easter reminds us that we just praise him for who he is. Yes, there is an element of praising him for what he has done. There's an element of praising him for what he is going to do. But the biggest element is you're just praising God because he is God. Easter reminds us that no matter what you are facing, and I will be a stickler on this, no matter what you are facing, there is always an element of praise because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Now, you may come and say, you don't know what my life is like, and I may not know what your life is like, but Jesus still died on the cross for your sins. There is an element of praise no matter what. I always try to tell people, if you're battling depression, praise Him. If you're battling worry and anxiety, praise Him. There is a power in that praise of where you stop and you say, I'm not going to think about what's wrong in my life. I'm not going to think about what's going on. I'm not going to think about everything that's falling apart. I'm just going to praise God for being God. We are weak in that area as a body of Christ, and I mean that as in the world. God deserves the praise. Easter reminds us our response to what he has done is just praise. Last thing, Easter reminds us in verse 17, there's always going to be two groups of people. When he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. There's always going to be two groups of people. One group rejoicing, one group being put to shame. Some translations say, instead of rejoicing, delighted. Some say humiliated instead of shame. The point is, there's always two groups of people. Ones that are put to shame, ones that are rejoicing. Daniel 12 talks about this, how the resurrection, very simply put, there's two groups. Some resurrected to rejoicing, some resurrected to shame. That is Christianity. This is the truth that needs to be taught. Which one are you? Easter reminds us there's only two groups of people. You're either saved or you're not saved. And that's the reality of what we're living with. Put this all together. Just like when Christ was on the cross, there was a mocking, there was grace, some accepted, some rejected. Just like we read here this morning. Here's this woman, complete weakness on her own. Frailty, weakness, infirmity, 18 years of being a cripple. Couldn't even raise herself up. That is us. We're a picture of that. Easter reminds us of how helpless we are. Jesus calls her. Jesus touches her. Jesus sets her free. Easter reminds us of what Jesus did, which is everything. There's going to be a naysayer. Easter reminds us there will always be somebody mocking us or sneering at us. We can't allow people to dictate our joy by their opinions. We can't. Easter then reminds us our response to everything Jesus did is just praise. And then lastly, Easter reminds us that there's only two groups of people. Either those rejoicing with the Lord or those put to shame. Very simply put, either those saved or not saved. One day out of the year, we stop and we say, Okay, Lord, I really want to focus on who you are and what you did for me. That's today. Now, in a little bit here, the kids are going to be coming in for communion, and we're going to be doing communion, but it's important before we do this that we just talk about a couple things. You know, out here at Harvest, we have an open communion policy, which means we don't have church membership. Communion is open to anybody. It's open to anybody that knows Christ as their Savior. 
And we think it's important before we do communion to do two things. First one is to make sure everyone knows what salvation is. And the other one is a chance for people that are saved to get a chance to go to the Lord and say, I am struggling with this. This is my infirmity. This is my crippleness that has been bringing me down maybe for decades, and I need to be set free from that. With that being said, as the kids are coming in, parents, we leave it up to you if you feel your child.